Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to episode 217 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis. And my name is Barbara. What's happening? Well, we're connected a little earlier this week because Lab Day West is this weekend. And you're back home and I'm back home, correct? Yes, I'm not in Washington State anymore. I tried to buy a house when I was out there, but it did not work. (laughs) I'm sure you want to go there forever. Trust me, I love it there. It is super nice. But I'm on my way out to California in the morning. Lab Day West. All right. Of course, this episode is going to come out after Lab Day West. Right. So I can go ahead and just tell everybody about the standing ovation I got after my presentation. Mm -hmm. And Judy presented me the key to Lab Day. It was just a glorious time. Everybody, if you didn't make it, you missed it. It was the greatest time ever. Not. (laughs) I'm sure it's going to be excellent. And then I woke up. Yeah. (laughs) So June's coming up, Barb. I know, I know, I know. And and for the last few years, we've asked people to submit their own audio thanks that we will play at the end of the episodes all month long. And this is to celebrate CDT Month. CDT and Dental Technician Appreciation Month. That's right. So every year, we get a decent amount of people that submit. But this year, we want even more. So this is how it works. Using your phone or a computer, record yourself thanking that special someone in the industry. It can be a coworker, a manager, a mentor, a vendor, a podcast host, anyone (laughs) you want it to be. Just record yourself. Here, I'll give you an example. Hi, my name's Elvis Dahl from the Preet Corporation, and I want to give a big thanks to all the labs that have welcomed me in in while I visited. There you go. You already that up well that's the great thing about recording we could edit it we could edit it so it sounds great i want to give a big thanks to all the labs that have welcomed me in when i have visited and spent time sharing with me about their labs see that's easy yep it's also fun and it's super special to those that you think so please 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 record those thankful messages email them to us and we'll play them all month in June to celebrate Dental Lab Technician Appreciation Month. All right. I don't want to beg anymore. (laughs) So this week we're featuring a great conversation I got while Barb was doing something stupid like lab work. What were you doing? Don't be a hater. I don't remember, but I'm sorry I missed it. I had the pleasure of chatting with Keith Cretenton. For those that don't know, Keith is the one behind America Smiles. But what goes on behind the scenes And what got Keith to where he is now is really where the story is at. Keith's whole path to dentistry started with a snowstorm. From there, he learned the craft, and it wasn't long before he learned that a successful dentist equals a successful lab and took to marketing dental practices. Nice. From there, it just exploded to expansion of the lab, selling supplies, milling for other labs, and creating a network that is worthy of every lab to at least check out. You won't be disappointed to hear what he has learned over the years. So join us as we chat with Keith Cretenton. Hi, this message is for the many dentists and dental staff that are listening to Voices from the Bench every week. The fastest growing product that we have at Grow3x are our Grow3x aligners. Grow3x aligners are only available from Grow3x aligner certified labs. Why? Because we believe in the synergies that are being created between you, the dental office, and your lab. And we want to further leverage these synergies. Our aligners are, for instance, used as a pretreatment to larger restorative aesthetic cases. They're used to widen gaps prior to placing implants. They're used to close the diastema, ease crowding, and simply enhance your patient's smiles. Even for your Essex retainer needs, your Growth3x Aligner Certified Lab can help. Look for a Growth3x Aligner Certified Lab near you, such as Castle Dental Lab in San Antonio, Texas, Ask for Blaine, AMK Dental Lab in O'Neill, Nebraska, Ask for Anne, Stax Dental Lab in McCool, Maryland, Ask for Derek, AA Dental Design in Marietta, California, Ask for Frankie, and many, many more. 
For a complete listing of Growth3x Aligner certified labs, go to www.growth3x.com. Thank you, Growth3x, and we appreciate your support of the podcast. Voices from the Bench. The Interview. I am super excited to welcome to the podcast today a guy that I've known, I think you've been in the industry for a while. I know your name's come up quite a bit in my years. Keith Crittenden. How are you, sir? I am wonderful. And yes, I've been here in the dental lab industry, I believe. If my math's correct, this is year number 41 for me. 41? Holy schmoly. Not bad for someone that's only 45. <laughs> well, no, I'm a bit older than that. Uh, so I went in, I'll let everybody else do the math. I went into the industry when I was 18 years old. 18? So yes, sir. How did you get into it? Did you start working in a lab? No, you know, it's actually, it's a great story. Tell you what, yeah. call it fate, call it God or call it whatever, but it, but definitely there were forces involved. Long story short, I graduated high school. I was driving a forklift for a company called Sweetheart Cup Company. Sweetheart what? Sweetheart Cup Company. They actually make all the McDonald's cups. So if you drink a Coke out of a McDonald's cup, that cup was made by the Sweetheart Cup Company here in Chicago. Really? Interesting. Okay. And I was just working on a dock, driving a forklift, loading trucks, and had no real direction in my life. Thought I was just going to be a blue-collar worker the rest of my life. Like every other guy 18 years old, it was the weekend. I was planning on going to see my girlfriend in Indiana, which is about a good 20-mile drive. And there was a snowstorm coming, and my dad, being the wise man that he is, says, you know, why don't you not go to see your gal. Why don't you come out to dinner with me and your mom? Hmm. So we went out with another couple. This couple uh, had flown in from Alaska to visit some family. And, you know, they're asking, they're being nice and asking me, what do you do? And I'm like, hey, I drive a forklift. And guy tells me he's a dental lab technician up in Alaska. Alaska? And, uh, <laughs> up in Alaska. And so uh, yeah, they're visiting the Chicago area to visit family. Yeah. So again, didn't go to the girlfriend's because a snowstorm went out to a Chinese restaurant and met this couple. And you know, he's telling me about what he does. And I always felt throughout my life that I could carve. I never really took up any carving of any type as a hobby, but I always kind of instinctually knew that I could. Interesting. Yeah. He started telling me about uh, what it's like to make false teeth. Then he made that magic, magic, magic comment. Said that last year he did $250,000 in sales. And I said, <laughs> I says, chink, chink, I'm making five twenty-five an hour loading trucks. I like the way that 250K sounded. Wow. And that was what year? That would be around November of 1981. Wow. So I had yeah. been about four or five months out of high school. So back without the internet, without the internet, I was able to find a school up on the north side of Chicago that taught it as a trade school, taught dental technology as a trade school, mm -hmm. so you didn't have to take any math or science or anything. And I uh, was able to get a job in a really a fabulous laboratory. I'll give a little plug for our artistic dental studio. They were in Darien at the time. I think they were out in Bolingbrook. Yeah. Two great, two great guys built a great business out there. Jerry sure. Lodge, an amazing guy. And uh, so I started there. And by 1984, April of 1984, opened up my own laboratory and been in the business ever since. Now, there's been a lot of changes. Go down that road. I can tell you the rest of the story. I, I tend to be a little overly chatty. So uh, no, you're fine. I'm curious. So you started at Artistic and were only there for three years before you opened up your own? Correct. And I knew so stinking little. I was going to say, how did you learn enough to open a lab in only three years? Well, what I was doing was when I was in that trade school, it was a nine month course. Mm -hmm. And I was working at Artistic the exact same time. I, I forget which I got first, but the job or the school started two weeks apart. from Sure. Each other. I can't remember which. But I would take things I was learning at school and I would go to artistic and I, and I get more opinions from them. So I was able to actually, my school experience was a lot richer because I was working at artistic at the same time. So I really probably learned a lot more, maybe the average person would in that short period of time. And, you know, they were real open and they got me up to metal finishing, had some experience with stacking porcelain in school. So by the time I opened up my lab, I had, had no porcelain experience, a stack and porcelain live for pay other than school. Really? I know so little that when I bought my Nay oven, if, if y'all, all you old folks remember the old Nay ovens, I'm sure there's a lot still. Oh running. yeah. The rubber gasket, the rubber seal wasn't seated down all the way properly. And the very first couple of crowns I did, didn't pull a vacuum. And I still delivered those cases. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of thought something did, didn't look right. And, uh, and, 
just delivered that case anyhow. And if it doesn't vacuum, what ha- real chalky? Yeah, I it's, say, it's real, yeah. I guess at that age, at uh, at the age of twenty one, and all my lack of experience, I just felt like nothing a stain kit couldn't cure. So. <laughs> <laughs> So where did you open up your first lab? Close to artistic? No, no, no. So I started off, uh, my parents lived in the southwest side of Chicago, and my first six years was uh, in the basement of my parents' house. Oh, okay, yep. Yep. They wanted to move. They moved, so I bought the house off my parents and got married and uh, moved the lab out of the house and moved it about three, four miles south down the road into a storefront and was there about six years and then moved it to Moni, Illinois. And it was out in Moni where everything got really interesting. I really became a bit of a, a student of the industry rather than just the the craft itself. Mm-hmm. You know, I was very inspired by the success of Tom and Jerry over at Artistic. One of the biggest things that fascinated me early on is how I can have a customer sending me maybe three, four, five thousand dollars a month worth of work, and another customer sending me three, four, five hundred dollars a month worth of work, and both guys say that they send me everything. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So I became fascinated. What is the difference between this $5,000 a month account, this $500 a month account? And I found typically it was simply marketing. So I began really just kind of going to lunch with some of my busier doctors and kind of understanding what they do. And I remember one dentist said, it's, it's real simple. He goes, every year I send a coffee cup to the nearest thousand homes, you know, to my dental practice. And I'm like, what a genius idea. And he says, I built my practice with that. Talk to other guys and they do brochures or mailers or mm-hmm. what have you. And you just start learning what these guys are doing. So what I did is I started actually helping all of my slower doctors do marketing and advertising. And I found I could take these doctors who were four and $500 a month accounts and turn them into $1,000 a month accounts just by encouraging them to implement marketing campaigns. So you knew that in turn, their success is your success. Absolutely. The busier my customers are, the busier my lab is. Yeah. So how did you even approach that? Did you just offer to do the mailer for them? (laughs) Yeah. Actually, I got to where I would actually do some of the designs. I'd come up with the text. And then I started working with a young lady near my house who was a graphic designer. And, you know, I'm a generally on average a personable guy. So, you know, you're delivering cases, you, you talk to a guy. And what I found a long time ago, the only way to really get a dentist's attention or get a dentist to listen to you is you just have to use these magic words. What my other dentists do. Oh. It doesn't matter if you want to say my other dentist pack a cord, my other dentist do marketing, my other dentist. As soon as you talk about what your other dentists do, all of a sudden you have their attention and they're more likely to listen to you if you're telling them that's what your other doctors are doing and having success. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's because they're worried what their competition is doing or they're worried what their fellow... You tell me. You give me an opinion. Let me interview you. (laughs) (laughs) What what do you think? Let's see if I... I think it depends on the dentist because... I've been out of the lab for about a year, but I still communicate with dentists. And I can think of some dentists that I would say that to that would probably wonder what the guy down the street's doing because they're worried about competition. Then I can also think of some other dentists that would say to themselves, oh, that's interesting that other people are doing that. Why am I not doing it? Mm-hmm. Too. It's interesting. I think dentists tend to wind up being a little bit of an island upon themselves. You know, they get out in their dental practice or may not be mingling with other dentists. I've heard dentists say the last thing I want to do after work is hang out with other dentists. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, I guess they could look at the laboratory owner. And I really wish laboratories would understand really the level of power that they have. I mean, every dental lab owner has tremendously unutilized power of influence. You know, they're a liaison. If you're a small one-man lab owner, you're working with six to 10 dentists, you're learning things at six to 10 times the rate each of your existing dentists are. Mm -hmm. You're seeing 10 times more cases than an average dentist. You're learning things at a 10 times rate. And you're a great liaison to feed and share information back and forth. Absolutely. So I've always said that lab owners should really see the power of what they have, what they carry, what they possess. If they exercise that, utilize that, it could definitely transform their businesses. Yeah, I always used to have this saying when a dentist said that they did, you know, three or four implants a week. I was like, we did that every 10 minutes, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, the funny thing is, too, is that dental lab technicians tend to have better hands because of the amount of hand piece time that we have, you know, back, at least back in the day, you know, you sat in a, you know, average technician probably has a hand piece in his hand three to five hours a day. Mm. And average dentist 
probably doesn't have a handpiece in her hand really that long. And I will neither admit or deny whether or not I've ever worked intraorally, but I would say that the average lab technician could probably pick up a high-speed angled handpiece and do as good, if not better, a job than a dentist pretty darn quickly. Yeah, I would agree to that. Absolutely. But anyhow, so, uh, so I kind of developed a little bit of a reputation of being a guy that could help make my doctors busier. I became so fascinated with marketing and advertising. I had a dentist actually offer me, he says, you know, I'd like to go into business with you. And so in Moni, Illinois, we opened up a, a dental practice in Moni. And he says, I want to just do all the dental practice work. He says, I want you to run the business. And so in Moni, Illinois, right inside the same building I had in my lab, we opened up a dental practice in the town of Moni had 1,700 people in it, mm-hmm. and I believe within six years, we had 2,200 patients of record just by utilizing very creative marketing. Wow. So how much did you know about practice management before this venture? Just from walking inside offices and stuff like that. It seems pretty simple. You know, the key to any dental practice is having a good recall system, you know, outreach to get new patients, and then a recall system to get those patients back in. And, you know, you talk to enough dental practices, you find out what works, creativity with scheduling. I had two doctors, Dr. Dalton and Scanlon, and they shared a practice together. And they told me one of their keys to success is they could tell every single patient that they work six days a week and they work from, say, seven in the morning till seven at night. Mm -hmm. And so if I wanted to see Dr. Dalton or Scanlon, it didn't matter which one, there's always a Monday appointment. There's always a Tuesday. There's always a Wednesday. And I can see them anytime from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. But what they did is they rotated around. One given week, Dalton would work Monday, Wednesday, Friday, while Scanlon was working Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And that particular week, one of them was working the morning shift while the other was working the afternoon shift. And they just floated the hours around. Now, if you wanted Monday at 2 o'clock, you might have to wait three weeks to see them which creates the appearance of supply and demand. Like, wow, this guy's hard to get into. So I just thought that their strategy on how they structured their practice. So the point that I'm making is I pay attention. I see what's working, why it's working. And it allows me to share that information with other dentists, or in this case, to open up my own dental practice with a dentist partner. And like I said, six years down the road, we had a total of three dentists working there. And we were seeing 2,200 patients of record drawing from, I think it was six or seven adjacent towns, getting people to come to our little practice in little old Moni, Illinois. How big was your lab at this point? You weren't still doing it all by yourself, were you? No, no, no. I think by this time I had about 40 clients, I suppose, and probably six to eight technicians somewhere in that area, yeah. you know, delivery drivers and office and stuff like that. Doing all fixed or were you... In the removable. Actually, no, we went full service. Uh, I don't know how to make dentures. I still to this day, I think I've tried setting teeth one time ever and made it absolute training. <laughs> but, but no, I've, I've always been, been fortunate to have good technicians available to me. And uh, and so we did have a denture department. I am, uh, you know, I'm a Cronin Bridge guy. I'd like mm-hmm. to say that having had some 50 to 100,000 cases, I'm sure, passed through my hands over my career. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident in my, in my skills as a Cronin Bridge technician. So at this point, are you still on the bench at all, or are you totally just managing? You know, for the most part, I'll step in. We've got someone taking some vacation days. I'll be cutting and cleaning zirconia out of pucks and stuff here in a few days. But every once in a while, I step up. I I don't get a whole lot of bench time anymore. I do still design custom abutments daily, and it's the one thing I really enjoy doing. And I'm probably maybe a little arrogant or picky or what have you. I don't think anyone does them as nice as I do. So uh, it's tough for me to outsource that. So I still design probably anywhere from 10 to 20 custom abundance every day. Oh, wow. Yeah, that keeps you busy. It, it does. <laughs> Here you are with this, this practice, partnering with the dentist. Where do you go from there? Well, so I got to tell you, I got a little smile on my face. And again, I, I, I don't mean to sound boastful, but I've just been very gifted to have a creative mind. You know, the other thing that's part of my character is failure doesn't scare me. The biggest thing that I'm afraid of is to just not discover my potential. I don't want to be an old person someday and say, you know, I really wish I would have this or wish I would have that. So I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I've probably failed 10 times for every one time I can chalk up something as a success, but failure doesn't scare me. So I don't really mind giving stuff a go. But in any event, I had this guy, Steve Gilbert, uh, was getting involved in this new thing called the internet. This is back around 1992, 93, 94 in that area. And he starts telling me about what a website is and all that. And I asked him a question. I says, hey, do you think folks will ever uh, one day stop using the, the yellow pages and maybe one day start using this new thing called the internet to find dentists? He's like, oh, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> so 
I own a dental practice. Uh, I've got 40 customers that I want to see be as busy as possible. So I created a website. Went through a, a couple different websites. One was called udrc.net, which I think is still live, but never really did anything with it. But I created a website called findacosmeticdentist.com. Mm. And what I did is I listed all my customers on there. I put my dental practice on there. And folks started finding the website and started visiting my customers. And dentists are sending me lab slips saying, hey, Keith, this six-unit veneer case, patient found me on your website. And so I'm like, you know, I think I'm on to something here. But what happened right in the midst of this, and then just to kind of take another step, I was realizing, too, I'm delivering teeth to my doctors every day. So I actually got a contract with Crosstex, the company that builds all these uh, tray setups, if you will, for dentists. Anything oh, okay. Yeah. You know, straws and napkins and bibs and all that kind of stuff, sterilizing solutions. So I started a small dental supply company, too. And doctors, you know, call me up and say, hey, Keith, uh, come pick up a case and you can bring me a case of gloves. Yeah, that's cool. So I had a little side gig going there. So I've got the dental supply company. I've got the dental practice. I got my dental laboratory. And in 1999, found out I got a blood disorder. I had a couple pulmonary embolisms back to back. Pulmonary embolisms, I believe, have a 33% mortality rate. Oh, jeez. I had two in a six-month period of time. Kind of my come-to-Jesus moment to sort of reevaluate my entire life and, uh, you know, what is it that I want? And actually sold all three businesses. I sold them all independently. And I took a couple of years off just to kind of decide what I want to do when I grow up. And it was during that period of time that I decided, I says, you know what? I want to teach other laboratories what I've been doing. I wanted to let other labs use my website called findacosmeticdentist.com. Mm-hmm to list their dentists because essentially what was happening was is as the internet was growing in popularity i remember the first time was i think a patient in tampa florida says hey i found your website but all your dentists are in chicago what does that do for me mm-hmm. let me call a lab in tampa and i'll find you a good dentist i'm like i'm on to something <laughs> so i started getting labs to pay me uh about 175 dollars a month and what I did is I gave them uh, an interface to use uh, so that they can add all their own dentists and manage their own accounts, put dentists up there if, if, it's, if the dentist is using them, take dentists down if the dentist stop using them, and continue to build that up all the way up until 2008, the economy got bad. And some people were pulling back on, on marketing and sure. stuff like that. I built it, I think I had about 150 labs paying me to put their doctors on findacosmeticdentist.com, which eventually became americasmiles.com. And that's how I... Wound up uh, networking with labs and, and really offering them the type of marketing services that I do today. So I'm, I'm curious, when you first started this, you know, today, when someone starts a website, there's all sorts of Google ads you can buy to advertise it and things like that. What did you do back in those days to get a website known? That is really great. So it was all about, well, I had to hire people out. I, did, I have no idea how to build a website. Sure. I was fortunate enough that I got a kid in the seventh grade <laughs> who already knew how to do PHP programming, went to school with my daughter, Jeff Eigner. I'll give a shout out to Jeff Eigner. And here's a 12, 13-year-old kid coming over to my house and building me a website. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Everything was based on what was called metadata and meta tags and, and content. And uh, so much of that's gone out the door yeah. you know, today. You know, Google Places, essentially Google Places made internet directories such as America Smiles and FindingCosmeticDesk.com nowhere near as valuable anymore. So even with that, so America Smiles, I had supplemented with, I think, I don't even know how many I had 300 local directories, such as, you know, I had New York smiles and Chicago smiles. Mm-hmm. My rule of thumb is it had to be 15 dentists in that town in order for me to buy the domain name, but I still own all those. So I still own several hundred local city smiles.com. And so when a lab signed up with me with his membership, he got that local directory for himself and himself only. And then he also got access to share americasmiles.com, find a cosmetic dentist. So basically the first lab in Chicago that sign well, Chicago's a bad example since that's where it started, but in sure. some town, if they were the first to contact you, they got that townsmiles.com. Yep. Exclusively to themselves. So you're a lab owner, and let's just say you're in Amarillo, Texas. Sure. So I build Amarillo Smiles for you, and you're the only guy that can put a dentist on there. So you go out on sale, say, hey, doc, use my lab, and I'll put you on my website, Amarillo mm. Smiles. So it really was a great marketing yeah. tool. Especially when back in those days when everyone's like, what's the internet? Yeah. (laughs) I had a dentist tell me, he says, 
I don't want my name on the internet. I don't want my name on your website. Any patient who would find me on the internet isn't the type of patient I want. <laughs> Funny how times have changed. <laughs> uh, I'd like to see that. Do- I don't remember who the doctor was, but I'd like to know his opinion today. <laughs> <laughs> he probably spends $20,000 a month on Google Words. He just may. Either that or he's still he's still looking at his ad in the yellow pages and smiling at it. Yeah. Great one <laughs> that is a great resource for a lab i imagine you had a lot of labs take advantage of it oh yeah yeah i like i said i think at the peak for that generation so america smiles the way i run it today is very 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 different i've i've been told i've got a great ability to sort of reinvent myself every five seven ten years whatever's needed really you have to yeah Yeah, you, you do so that version of america smiles just doesn't fly today because of google places and you know, just the internet has just changed so much. But we still use the internet a lot, and America Smiles still exists. And we actually have a plan for that coming up to actually be able to advertise nationwide. It's in the works. Might be three, four years from now, we might be looking at television ads and stuff again. It evolved into the America Smiles it is today. How did that happen? What what made that change? Well, I'll tell you what. How that happened, we could think, I don't mean to be overly political, but Barack Obama, 2008, the economy just went to crap. Everybody knows that. And I probably had 30 or 40 customers say, look, I'm going to you know, stop this yeah. membership. I say, I got to tighten up my budget. And so I don't like losing at anything. I don't like going backwards. And so no, I, sure. I got the idea of saying, hey, look, you know, if you're trying to save money, instead of backing out of your membership and saving 175 bucks a month, how about if I open up a milling center? I started looking at prices. Guys were paying 60 bucks for ProSera and $50 for zirconia crowns. And I'm like, I bet I could just open up a milling center and I can give you membership rates. So what I was able to do to keep the bleeding, keep people from backing out of the membership is I opened up a milling center says, look, now continue to support America Smiles, the website. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, it's 175 bucks a month. I'm going to be able to save you more than 175 bucks in milling center savings. I remember I had a really big, busy customer. He told me that he estimated I saved him $60,000 in one year. Holy schmoly. Just by opening up the membership milling center. And this was 2008, right? So there was a lot more milling centers and out there. I mean, it was a... Yeah, I think Issaquah was still around a couple of these yeah, other big, Issaquah, big guys. Yeah. You know, I just decided to give that a go. And that was 2008 when I started going down that road. I think we cut our first zirconia crown in 2011. And in any event, yeah, I remember it being a big day where we, we milled 20 teeth in a day. And I just thought that was all the teeth in the world. <laughs> and now we milled you know, 250 to 300 units a day is pretty normal. So how do you start a milling center? Would you just get a couple mills and start nesting? And Yep. So I, I hired Kim Karpowitz, a really, really, really knowledgeable guy in the milling business. I guess he come out of the aerospace industry and he met up with a guy named Scott and they created Digital Dental, which still exists today. It's out in uh, Absolutely. Yeah. California and uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And he took me under his wing and taught me everything I need to know about milling. And he was a brilliant guy. I owe him a lot of credit for, for helping me get where, where I'm at. But he sold me the three-shape scanner. He sold me a mill and the nesting software and the oven. And basically, it was plug and play. And there I was, a one-man show, milling teeth for all of our members. Is this still in a basement? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We're in a 6,000-square-foot facility in University Park, Illinois. Nice. Did you make your own zirconia? Or did you mill someone else's zirconia or well, how did that work out you must already know that and that's why you're asking this question Maybe. i got tired of spending oh i don't know 30 40 50 thousand dollars a month on zirconia and helping uh, mr carp what's you know i don't begrudge anybody for making a profit but uh sure you know, spent a lot of money over that way and i says by golly i wonder if it's possible to just make these discs myself and Went and chased down that rabbit and wound up building a zirconia plant in uh, Creed, Illinois, which is about six miles from where we're at now. And we're manufacturing 12, 1,500 discs a month over there. And again, same concept, selling it to our members at a membership price and not members. So now we make our services available, milling or zirconia pucks available to members or not members. If a lab hires us to do their marketing for them, which we haven't talked about that yet. We have a mm-hmm. program called OneFolds, which is what we do to help labs gain new customers now. And if they come on board and hire us for that, they get all their milling and their zirconia discs at a, at a membership price. What other things do you provide other than zirconia discs? 
Do you do like burrs and all that? Yeah, so we're doing, you know, trying to get, get our hands really in as many years as I can. You know, obviously for selfish reasons, I want to make money. I want to make a profit. But what I really discovered about the industry and at my heart, I love the dental lab industry. And at my heart, I have a lot of compassion for your average lab or your average lab order sitting alone, maybe one, two, three. Yeah, lab. absolutely. So let's just talk about zirconia pucks for a little bit. My first zirconia disc that I was buying, I was paying $150 a disc for. But you didn't know any better. No. No, that's the price. And so there's a lot of gouging, probably in a lot of industries, but I don't know other industries. I don't know the furniture business. Sure, yeah. But in the lab industry, there's a lot of gouging that goes on. Just as an example, I paid $70,000 for my first mill. My first dent mill. Mm-hmm. And you can buy really good quality mills for $20,000, $25,000 now. Yeah. First zirconia puck, I paid 150 bucks for a zirconia puck. Well, we sell them to our members now, I think, if I'm not mistaken, as low as $49 for a 12 millimeter disc. Wow. If not $49, $59. But what I do is instead of the average lab guy having to get taken advantage of out of his own lack of knowledge, lack of understanding or ignorance, if you will, you know, I like to step up to the place and say, no, 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 I can help you be as competitive. The, the vibe that I go with is I can make an average lab as competitive as, say, a lab the size of Glidewell Labs. Because actually, if, if I'm not mistaken, I think the size of our organization, we did business with 513 laboratories last year in 2021. So with the size of our organization, I think it's safe to say that we're, we're bigger, if not twice as big as a, as a Glidewell lab. There you go. Yeah. I, I could be wrong. You know, and I don't mean to be dropping names like that, but I'm, I'm going to say collectively our organization is that big. That's a tremendous a lot of buying power. So what I do is what I can't make or manufacture myself, I go out and I buy. So to a degree, America Smiles, one of the segments of what America Smile is, is today is a, uh, is a cooperative buying group, if you will. There's very few major things that a lab would want to be a dental lab this this day and age that we can't provide to them. We sell scanners and mills and 3D printers and all those supplemental materials that go with it. You know, we're not doing stuff like NOAC Dental Supply, you know, Sean NOAC. Yeah. Great organization, great guy. You know, he's selling the glues and the articulators and, you know, he's got the full the full accessories. Part. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have any interest in going in that direction, but all the mainstay stuff, if I feel like I can get a hold of it, buy it in bulk for our members and get it to them at a better price. That's that's exactly what we do. And then, you know, same story. We're telling the lab, hey, look, what you're paying us to do your marketing. Some labs are, you know, pay as little as, you know, $200 a month for our marketing purpose. Others in the thousands of dollars a month. We tell them, look, you know, we realize marketing's expensive, but I can offset all those expenses through our, our, our discounted pricing for members. Let's talk about that marketing. That's extremely interesting to me because I did a lot of it at the lab I used to be at. Mm-hmm. And I know how difficult it is. Half the work you get is because you talk to a dentist at the right time because their other lab screwed something up. <laughs> exactly. How do you go about helping labs market? We really have to educate labs on the importance of marketing. And there's a couple of reasons why I think labs don't. You know, as lab technicians, we are conditioned for very, very, very predictable outcomes. You know, we set our porcelain oven temperatures and glaze temperatures and all the little nuances we do to establish a predictable outcome, mm-hmm. right down to sending an invoice out with the case, right down to sending statements out at the end of the month. But there's nothing predictable about marketing other than if you don't market, you're not going to get any new business. True. And, and most lab guys will tell you, you know, well, I can't market. I'm too busy or I'm busy enough now. And actually, when you're busy is when you're supposed to be doing the most marketing. Number one, if you're busy, that means you've got the disposable income to spend on marketing. But the response, the first thing we do is we teach a lab owner, your responsibility is to create a supply and demand problem. And laboratory owners have to understand they're not selling teeth. They're selling time and talent. Mm. What they have to do is they've got to create enough pressure for their time that with basic, simple supply and demand rules, when the demand for their time is greater than the supply of time they have, it should push the price up. So one of the reasons there's so much suppressed pricing in our industry is a lab guy gets four or five, six customers and he sits on it and all he's worried about is not losing those customers. He needs to be out getting new customers at higher prices, doing higher quality, higher cosmetic work, and changing and augmenting the style of his business. Now, when he's got a lot of business, he's got a few more customers, he can go to that guy that's a slow payer and raise his prices. Or go to the guy that's got a high remake ratio, 
raise his prices. You don't want to fire the client, but make him pay, you know, we all know what the PETA taxes or the PETA fee. Yeah. Stands for pain in the something or yep, other. Yeah, you can say it. We'll bleep it later. <laughs> okay. But but in any event, first thing is, is to teach the labs, listen, you don't like marketing. There's nothing predictable about it. You're a lab technician. You're used to exact results. But you got to be marketing. And whether you're busy or slow, your responsibility is to create pressure on your lab for your time. And then let the time notion, you're so busy, comfortably and safely raise prices. When you comfortably and safely raise prices, you might lose a doctor or two, but you've already replaced them with guys that are paying you more. So when I go teach lab, go out on sales, start your new guy off at a higher price, depending on where you're at. If you, if you have a situation where there's not enough demand for your time, so, so your supply is high of your time and your demand and the demand is low, then you come in with lower prices. But if the demand for your time is already high, go after new customers at an elevated price. They go, well, no one's going to want to use me at that price. Well, that's okay. Get your name out there. You're getting what's called impressions. Doctors seeing your name, seeing your name. And it might be years. I had a doctor tell me one time, Ed Balish, paid me one of the greatest compliments ever. He says, Keith, you know why I started using your laboratory? And he says, no, why is that? He says, I thought I would see you less. He goes, you were in my office so often. I figured you already get rid of this guy to start using him. I love it. But that's a true story. It's Ed Balish is probably still in practice there on Kesey Avenue in Chicago. But that's what you're supposed to do. And I, I don't know how many years he, he heard my name uh, or you know heard of me, but it took years. But you got to be that relentless. That's not it. It almost sounds like you're saying almost have fluctuating pricing. You could. Like if you're slow, don't raise your prices because your time is not as valuable because you need the work. And then sure. when you're busy raise your prices because your time is more valuable. Sure. Let's just say your labs, uh, you charge a hundred bucks a year. Sure. Yeah. Let's say you're charging a hundred bucks a year. And you're slow. You're slow as all get out. Go out and advertise 90 bucks a unit or 85, whatever it is you got. Now I'm not advocating for those prices. I'm no, no. Yeah, I hear you. Keep the math simple. So go out and advertise 85, 90 bucks. And people are all scared to death. Oh my, well, my existing customer is going to find out about that. No, they're not. Just don't market to those guys. Dentists don't talk to each other that often. They don't talk to each other about price that often. Go out and advertise, get yourself a couple of customers at, at 85 bucks a unit and create the demand. Now, you're medium busy. You're medium busy. You've got your base doctors are paying you 100. You got these two more new guys you just got, they're paying you 85. Yep. Keep marketing, keep advertising, but now start advertising at your 100. So go back up. Now, you got to keep those same couple guys that came in low for a little while. Go out and advertise back at your main average price, 100 bucks. Now you've gotten two more customers at 100. Now you're busy. Mm -hmm. Like, dang, I'm working till six o'clock at night. I miss my kid's baseball game, what have you. Now start advertising at 110, 120. And go out, it's, it's going to take longer to get a new customer. You have to advertise longer, spend more money. But now you got a new guy paying you a buck 20. Go back to that guy that you got a year ago at 85, raise his price to 100. If he goes away, fine. If he sticks around, that's fine too. But point is, just use basic supply and demand principles on how you market yourself and what audience you're going after. Well, I like to teach labs. Go, you first thing, know your talent segment. Get an idea of, hey, am I just a no, no technician says I'm a bad technician, but we all know there's bad technicians, there's medium, and there's yeah. high end. Not everybody's Willie Geller. So if you're a, just a poor technician, then your price range is going to be. 85 to 100. And so play in that zone, 85 to 100. If you're a decent technician, your price range might be 100 to 120. Yeah. So play in that zone. And if you're a high-end guy, you're, you might be 120 to 200. So play in that zone. But be willing to be flexible in your pricing on your marketing approach and be comfortable having different prices for different doctors. Yeah, definitely know your worth. Last thing you want to do is over-promise and under-deliver. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, and this guy, what was this guy's name? He was from Florida. Goodness gracious, I can't remember his name, but he's still around. I remember back in the day, he was getting 150 bucks a crown, and he was telling us his lab, he's got more work than he knows what to do with it. I'm going to tell you right now, if I talk to a lab owner and he tells me he's swamped, he's busy as all get out, chances are he's getting a higher price for his crown. People do not realize that the busiest labs are the more expensive laboratories. They've just learned to go out and present themselves as high-end. They didn't go down the route of, uh, I'm just going to sell my stuff cheap. I just need as many customers as I can get. Yeah. And your busiest lab guys are getting a decent buck, $150 plus a unit. Is that because they can't find enough technicians that can do that high-end work? 
that they seem busy? <laughs> you know, that's a that's a great question. I really haven't chased that one. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's an interesting question. I just think they decided what you use the term Elvis. You said, you know, what their worth is. I think they decided that my worth is this. And this is what I'm going to ask for. And, you know, it's when you hold yourself in that type of esteem, I think you garner a certain amount of respect. I agree. There's a certain yeah. peace and comfort that a dentist has working with you. If you're pitching yourself as cheap and that's how you want to earn that customer, then the customer kind of looks at you as cheap and you seem disposable to that customer. And if they used you for price, they're going to quit you and use somebody else for price anyhow. Oh, absolutely. You just start a game with everybody. Exactly. So obviously price alone doesn't help you advertise. What else do labs need to do? You, I mean, you can't just walk out and just yell your price at a dentist, you know? No, you don't. Well, <laughs> so here's the thing. What I tell lab owners, and I'll, I'll get to what one voice is, and obviously there's a little bit of a plug here. Yeah, absolutely. I tell laboratories that, you know, every dentist, or at least the very least, the nearest hundred dentists to your dental laboratory ought to know you by name. And even if they're saying, oh, yeah, this this guy sends me a postcard every stinking month and it goes right from the mailman's hands right into the garbage, it doesn't matter as long as they know that you exist. Mm -hmm. So responsibility number one is know what your market location is. You know, guy like Glidewell, he's national. Most laboratories are still hand delivering their cases themselves, you know, so they don't want to be traveling too far. So know your market. Make sure every single dentist within your market knows who you're who you are. So. To go into one voice, so one voice really takes into consideration what the average lab guy's like. So what we do if a lab wants to pay us for one voice, we, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, a sign-up fee because what we do is we do a lot of work in the opening 30 days. We go out, we buy a list of the nearest hunter dentist to his laboratory. So you actually buy those lists? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we have. A, yeah, I've always found it curious. I get tons of those emails every week about mm-hmm. them wanting to sell me lists. I didn't know how legit they were. <laughs> Yeah, I've been working with a company called Sales Genie or something. I think they've changed their name a couple of times. Sure. I forget what they're called now. I, I still call them the old school name, Sales Genie. Yep. But we buy from them. Their lists are pretty accurate. They're not super, super, super accurate. We can go, I think Dun & Brad, Bradstreet's a lot more accurate, but it's really expensive. Mm-hmm. So we buy the list, and what we do is we actually qualify. We'll call every dentist on the list to make sure they are legitimate. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we call that our qualifying session. That's why there's an inferior setup. I think we call it a setup fee when you sign up for one voice. There's an initial setup fee around 300 bucks. But we, we buy the list. We call every dental practice. call that a qualifying session. Make sure that every dentist is a dental practice. They, they do, if it's a denture lab we're working for, do you do dentures? If it's chronic bridge, do you do chronic bridge? You know, weed out the specialists and stuff. And then we send that list to the lab and we say, look, pluck out your doctors. We don't want to be sending postcards to your doctors. And pluck out guys that don't pay their bills. And pluck out guys you know that are mm, dead yeah. or what have you. So we, we call that cleaning up the list. But we want to get it narrowed down to 100, 100 guys. Well, in the meantime, we're also building a custom postcard for this lab owner. And uh, so we got our, our graphics design teams building them a custom postcard. The lab doesn't have a website. We build a website immediately. It's a you know fairly plug and play, not super customized lab, uh, website. But I'm amazed how many labs don't have websites. It's pretty fascinating. They, they, when they I started don't. working for Preet, and I never had to look up so many different labs, I was like, wow, I had no idea. I thought it was easy. Yep. Don't even have a domain name. Yep. Yeah. So we set them up. We make sure that they've, you know, and, and to be true, a lab really doesn't need a website. No, to they don't. No, your website's probably not going to get you any new doctors. No doctor's going to say I was surfing the web and no. I found it. But it's a great source for information. It's a place to put up information, let them know what your product offer is and such. A place to look, upload lab prescriptions and stuff yep. like that. Time schedules. I don't really recommend fee schedules online, but but you know your t- your turnaround time schedules. But anyhow, point is, we make sure that the lab has a logo. We make sure that they've got. You know, we'll, we'll rebuild their, remake their lab prescriptions for them too if they want us to. We just make sure that they're all set up to, to, to present themselves yep. in a nice proper way. So we get those postcards rocking out. And what we do is we'll send those postcards out really about, oh, 10 days apart from each other, 10 days, two weeks apart. We'll send the postcards. So it goes postcard, postcard, postcard. And then we've got a sales force of eight salespeople. And they do what we call a direct connect session. So they call every single dentist that we can send a postcard to and say, hey, yo, calling on behalf of Billy Bob's lab. And, you know, Billy Bob's going to be in the area next week and he'd like to stop by your practice and, you know, show you some samples of his work and talk to the doctors. So if we call 100 practices, we'll usually get anywhere between four and six appointments. 
Yeah. So, you know, I like to tell I like to keep our sales staff encouraged. Go, look, I want you to call 100 dentists. I want you to hear no 95 times. Mm. So if you hear no 95 times, that's successful. That means you got five yeses. And we come back to the lab. We tell them, right, you're meeting Dr. Smith this Tuesday at one o'clock. Here's his number. Here's your contact person. Follow up today. Follow up immediately. So we do a lot of handling. We tell the lab, hey, call that doctor. Say, hey, I understand you just talked to my lab association and they set an appointment. I look forward to seeing you. Can I bring you lunch? Can I do whatever? Da, da, da. Mm-hmm. And labs will go on on these four or five appointments. If they can get one or two trials out of it, that's a bonus. You know, point is, is with our program, you know, if an average lab is doing 100 dentists, there's no reason why at the end of the year you shouldn't be able to secure somewhere between two and four new customers. And it, it doesn't sound like a lot. And I'm not selling this as some, you know, massive rescue mission. We're going to, you know, we're going to turn you into a, a large 100 man lab. But if you figure the average lab spending $2,400 a year with us is you know, 2400 a year, 200 bucks a month. And if they get just one customer at the end of the year, and an average dentist is worth 3000 bucks a month, that's $36,000 a year this year, next year. And as long as you can keep that doctor, you keep that doctor, you know, three years and you made $100,000 on a $2,400 investment. I mean, I'd love to do that on Wall Street. You just yeah. Do it. So the one voice is 200 bucks a month. That's it. Yeah, I think 195. There's a yeah. $300 setup fee, and that's so we can buy the list. We do the qualifying session and build your postcard, and actually buy a three month supply or a four month supply of postcards so that we have we keep them here on you know on hand, and we run them through this giant twenty thousand dollar printer that we have, and it inks the phone the addresses on uh, on the postcard and of the dentist, and so. Uh, we do all that right here in-house, send the postcard out three times, do a call session, then we leave it chill for a couple months. To be honest with you, the lab is still paying us a monthly fee. Essentially, it's $2,400, but we finance it for a year. Yeah. So we sit on it. We do nothing for that lab for two, three, four months, or two, three months. And then their turn comes up. Yeah, we do postcard, 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 call session. Get them the appointments, sit on it for a couple more months. So at the end of the year, we've sent out nine postcards and done three call sessions. The lab's probably gone out on about... 12 to 15 visits, got four or five doctors to try you and kept two or three accounts. And obviously the results vary with everyone. We get sure. unhappy customers. You know, Your program stinks, man. I yeah, went yeah. Out of <laughs> yeah. And then got this guy, Devin out of Texas. I forget the name of his laboratory. We sent him out on four appointments and he got four customers. He goes, he can't. I go, why he can't? He goes, it worked. I got four customers. I don't need you anymore. I don't need any more work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's a fun program. I, like I said, I have a tremendous amount of empathy for the average uh, businessman. I feel like I'm, I'm gifted with a certain amount of energy, gifted with a certain marketing skills. And, you know, I just assume use that to try to lift uh, people up around me. I don't have any interest in trying to become a big giant laboratories and trying to do this all myself. I'm having more fun and making more friends, so just trying to help other people out. Not to say I haven't made a couple enemies along the way. I, sure. Yeah. Two or three lab owners over the years have threatened to punch me in the nose if they ever see me. In most cases, they owe me money. <laughs> <laughs> so how close do you work with the lab on their postcards? I mean, I would be weary just like handing that off because I want to make sure you present what my lab should be presented. Right. No, super close. Now, myself personally, I, I don't get involved. But sure. I've got a really talented team of people, several graphic designers, and we've got a one voice manager. And I think the customer starts off looking at maybe six or eight different templates or ideas. Say, mm-hmm. hey, this is, there's nothing really new to reinvent. The more, most popular one we do right now is implant bundles. Guys will make a postcard, hey, crown an implant for X amount of money. And so that seems to be real popular right now. But we let the labs look at six, eight different postcard types. And they say, I like this, but I want my logo here. And I like this color combination yeah. or what have you. They pick it out. We design it. They look at it couple of changes here and there but uh, once they approve it we send it to the same printer i mean we i don't know we probably have a ten thousand dollar a month bill with the local print company that we use and uh, send it to the same printer and they deliver it here in a box and keep it all on shelves and when it's this guy's turn to come up i'm looking at a giant whiteboard right now with everyone's schedule when it's his turn to get the mailers out they get in they they print the addresses on, send a label out, and it goes into the schedule. And like I said, after three postcards, we do a, a direct connect call session where you actually literally call every doctor to schedule an appointment. So the postcard, you made a mention of like an implant deal. Do you recommend some sort of promotion, discount? Yeah, you know, again, depending on who you're at. If you're a busy lab and a high-end lab, you know, we might go with the message of, uh, I don't want to try to put myself in spider, but you know, look, look, we're not the cheapest lab or you know, not every case needs to go to a cheap lab. Mm-hmm. Use us for the one that 
counts. Heck, you can be as limited as next time you've got a young lady getting married who lost her front tooth at her bachelorette party. Yeah. Call us. We're going to do a beautiful job. Yeah. So depending on the messaging, but unfortunately, most people do go price. And I don't necessarily counsel against it. At the end of the day, I want the customer to be happy. We try to teach and train. Uh, we have a, a segment we call America Smiles Tips and Tricks where a lot of times I'm talking about ways to, to get your prices uh, lifted up. But for the most part, people pick the easy route, put something on discount. Really, the best thing that I found is hold a good price, but offer a doctor 50% off their first unit, 30% off their first bridge, and then 10% off the statement of their choice anytime within 12 months of sending their first case. Interesting. That encourages them to do more. Yeah, so Doctor Six yeah. West on the road says, "Holy schmoly, I got a five thousand dollar lab bill with you this month. I'll take my ten percent today." Yeah, interesting. That's a great tip. But anyhow, so so that's it. I'm enjoying it. You know, the question is, is uh, you know, my situation. You know, do I, I'm 58 years old. Do I have an exit strategy? I do get calls periodically. Other companies that want to buy the business, but I, I talk to them and I find out they. Really, they're just after our client base, and they want to go back to old old school tradition. They want your list. <laughs> yeah, they want my list, and I kind of feel that us being an advocate for the individual member that we are now, I feel like that goes out the window. Mm-hmm. So there's some concerns. And I think in reality, what I'd really like to see is I'd like to see myself put my business up for sale and sell it to the lab industry. So let's say that we have 400 members. I think we have 250 active members. When I said we did business with 500 labs last year, that means we could have sold them a, a tie base or yeah. something. You know, sold them some impression material or something. But I think we have a little over 250 active members. I like to see us get to about 400 active members. And I really like to see it where the membership themselves buys our company. Mm. I stay on as a CEO for a number of years. And the deal is, is now there's their ownership in the America Smiles Network gives value to their lab when they want to sell it. So now they're not just selling their client book. You know, when they sell their laboratory, they're also selling their America Smiles membership. Because one of the things that we're going to be developing in the next two years is we're going to go back into the supply business, selling supplies to doctors with the labs getting a commission on the sales. One of the reasons we call it One Voice, and I'm not sure exactly how much of my hand I should be showing here, but one reason we call it One Voice is there's a bunch of labs all speaking with one voice. So what we're going to do is when a lab hires us to market to the nearest 100 dentists in their community, mm-hmm. those are dentists that they don't do business with. We're going to simultaneously market to that same 100, selling impression materials, burrs, and tools, or maybe disposable products. We're going to start selling supplies to doctors. That dentist who's under that lab's management, that that lab's group, that lab's going to be the salesperson of record. They'll never have to do a thing, but they're going to get a commission on everything we sell. So what I really envision is a lab has a hundred dentists closest to his lab is in his network. He might only be making teeth for 10 of them, Mm -hmm. but he's got 90 that are in the network. And if this doctor starts buying supplies, that lab's going to get the commission. We also want to open up AMS for America's Smiles, AMS University. We're negotiating with the, with the village here in University Park to put in a live training facility for live dentistry. Basically having AMS University where dentists can come and see dentistry live, but also watch it over the internet. And anytime dentists go, come to any of our courses, that lab will get a commission on the dentist tuition. So the point is, instead of a lab owner always making his money hunched over a lab bench, let's give the lab owner additional revenue streams. We're a powerful, powerful, powerful industry at $5 billion a year. Collectively, the lab industry, we're a powerful industry. We've not even come close to realizing the real influence that we could have in in all of dentistry. So are you asking the labs to, to sell supplies to dentists? Nope, we're gonna we're gonna do it for them. So let's say a lab joins us for one day. Says, "Hey, yep. go call on these hundred dentists and tell them to use my lab." Okay, we're gonna call those hundred dentists. Please use his lab. Please use his lab. Please use his lab. We're gonna come out with our own postcard that says, "Hey, buy your supplies from from AMS Supplies, from America Smile Supply." Company. Mm-hmm. If that dentist buys supplies from us, we're automatically gonna give a commission to that lab. Owner. And the lab doesn't have to stock anything, carry anything, deliver it? <laughs> Nothing. Interesting. The lab simply has to be marketing to that group of dentists to build his own lab. Huh. And we're going to come in the back door and market supplies to that dentist on behalf of the lab for them. We've already got the website built, so we have a interactive website built where doctors 
Doctors will get the link, they'll go online, they'll buy the product. It's already set up that the lab is considered the salesperson of record and the lab will just be building their commissions. So we'd like to see a situation where we send in a commission check out to every lab every month. For some labs who haven't done anything to save or invest or, or anything, it could be their exit strategy. They can retire out of the lab industry, keep their membership up, and maybe still be getting a check for $1,000 a month from us indefinitely as long as dentists are buying supplies from them. So the dentist will know that that lab is associated with the American spouse. So if something goes wrong, who are they calling? Yep. So we could have a situation where a dentist is buying supplies and say, your lab of record, your sponsoring, we're going to call it sponsoring, your sponsoring yep. laboratory is Billy Bob's Dental Lab. And doctors say, you know, I've been buying supplies from this website. And every time I go to buy supplies, there's in a reminder, your sponsoring America Smiles Network Lab is Billy Bob's Dental Lab. You know, let's give him a try. So it's just a matter of, you know, what can one lab owner do you know, if he's three, four, five, six man, like, what can he do and what type of power and influence does he have alone versus what does he have if he's part of a collective larger organization? Yeah. And that lab, since they're already part of the one voice, they're already hopefully buying stuff from you anyways. Correct. So that's the next two phases. One voice is taking off. We're enjoying a tr- matter of fact, actually a little bit too much success, kind of dropping the ball in a few areas and getting some lab, lab owners disappointed in us. We really, we took on too much new business too fast. We just couldn't keep up with it. So, you know, they're saying, Hey, I've been waiting two weeks for my postcard. Mm. We just really just enjoyed a little bit too much success too fast. We, we, we kind of re- restructured it a little bit and mm-hmm. it turned out to, to, to work really well. While one voice is settling in and this is working, we're getting new dentists for labs. We're going to start coming in the back door and telling doctors they can get continue education and they can get supplies through the American Smiles Network. That is some amazing. I had no idea that America Smiles was offering so much. Yeah, well, I I don't sleep a lot. I get some of my best ideas just laying in bed at night. I, I seem to have no desire to just kick back and enjoy the success I've had. I seem to always want to have a new challenge. I just want to keep beating my head against the door and, and see what else I can come up with. Have you ever run into a lab that it just doesn't work? Oh, sure. Yeah, all the, all the time. And unfortunately, it's not because our program doesn't work. It can be a little bit of bad luck. Yeah. Uh, just misfortune. Again, when we get a tremendous success story, I don't get too excited because I realize that's just a little bit of luck. It just happens to be mm. good luck. But a lot of times, it's just that the lab owner isn't disciplined. They don't follow our rules or they're just not an overly personable individual or they're just not that savvy. Yeah. That's really just what it comes down to. It really what it comes down to. And sometimes it's a matter of they're, they're, they're foreigners. You know, we have a lot of yeah. uh, non-Americans in the industry. Sure. And, you know, if a guy's English isn't really super good, you know, there's natural biases out there. You walk into a Joe Q, American white male dentist, and someone comes in whose English is fairly broken. You know, he's it's not really overly interesting to the doctors. There are a lot of barriers. Yeah. But, I mean, the lab but, still has to have a point person at the very end Absolutely. to seal the deal. Oh, you know what? I've got a couple of uh, really good Asian customers and they fall in that category. Their, their English is rather broken, but they're smart and savvy enough. They put someone out there, but it's as American as, as it comes. And I'm not suggesting Americans are better than anybody. It's just reality. We all have our biases. And, you know, if you're, you're trying to communicate with someone, you feel like, well, I'm having a hard time understanding your price list because of a language barrier. What am I going to do when we got to discuss a, a, a complex yeah. case? But yeah, it's, it's not good in everybody's hands yeah. but if you give me a relatively decent businessman or really it works great in the hands of a lab guy that's already has a salesperson Salespeople love it because we're generating all the we're doing all the legwork and generating all the soft leads for them yeah at that price you couldn't even print your own flyers for that yeah your yeah, postcards really or mail yeah. them at least and the reason why you know so what i do is kind of a i have this kind of vicious circle i set up that seems to work for everybody is i keep the marketing costs low and I hope that a person that it really doesn't do good for me if I have a one voice member, it's not buying zirconia from us or using our milling center. That's where we make our money, selling the zirconia at the milling center. And you're like, but you sell it at a discounted rate. And I'm like, yeah, but the thing is, is I'm making my own zirconia and I own the milling center. And so I'm able to, I, I just assume make a little bit of money off of a lot of items instead of trying to go get my kid's college fund all in one one swing. So yeah. the methodology works, make a little bit of money running, running one vice six and one vice runs pretty close to break even, but uh, try to bring all these people in a fold, get them using the milling center, get them buyers or Coney or tools or what have you. And at the end of the day, as long as the books are in the black at the, you know, at the end of the month or end of the year, it's, it, it's working. Yeah. And really there's no discount or additional cost. If a lab doesn't use the marketing side of it, you might as well. Right. Correct. In most cases, once a lab is sending us, 
you know, 20, 30 cases a month, they may as well become a one voice member, you know, just to get the discount. Sure. And then you'll get the marketing on top of it. Mm -hmm. That's awesome, Keith. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast to really kind of talk about the America Smiles and your history behind it. I always love to hear when companies in our industry behind it is a lab person. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate you letting me tell my story. I like my story. It's an interesting story. I'm, ex you know, I'm excited and, and proud of my career. May not be the most successful guy in the world, but really at the end of the day, I get letters and cards from people who say, look, I just want you to know, man, I almost gave up in the industry 10 years ago. And, you know, you gave me a second wind. You helped me to go digital. And I mean, it, that's what I do that for. And I, and I even had a sad story. I had a guy call me up and he says, you know, Keith, I was going to throw the towel in a few years ago. He says, I started working with you and you got me excited. He says, but I'm closing. I've got, I've got lung cancer and I've got about 60 days to live. So, but, um, mm. You know, you, you just realize that what we're doing, and I try to preach that to all my salespeople and everybody here. I says, you got to understand something. We, we're an advocate for people that don't know how to be an advocate for themselves. Yeah. You know, they don't know how to do it. We're here to help them. So, and I, I don't want to be fake. I mean, I'm, I'm helping myself. I, you know, no, sure. Myself. You got to live. Yeah. I, I just assume make my salary do what I'm doing then hunched over a lab bench to deal with doctors. It's obvious you're making some differences in some, in some labs' lives. That's what's important. I'd like to say so. Yeah. 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 It's not everybody gives you that story, but I really, I can think of several that have reached out and just said, thanks. You don't, you have no idea what, what, what you can do for me. You know, I've had a lab in Joplin, Missouri. Tell me, she says, you know, sometimes some months are tough. She says, but that American Smiles membership, that's the last thing we'll ever get rid of. Cause I know Keith, if I ever have a question that I need answered, you know, about the industry and know that you're right there for me. So I get supported for a variety of people for a variety of reasons. And that's all. Try to just make a difference in their lives. Try to make uh, being a lab technician just a little bit easier because you're affiliated with us than, than to do it alone. That's awesome. So what is it? AmericaSmiles.com. Uh, AmericaSmiles.com is our patient referral network. Oh. AmericaSmiles.net. AmericaSmiles.net is where labs will go to learn, get more information about us. So you do own them all, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I think I own about a thousand domain names. So I'm on those lines. <laughs> all right. So americansmiles.net for labs. America. To go. America. 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 Smiles.net. Some of my funniest ones that I own, I've got a website called deadbeatdentist.com. It's a, it's a page <laughs> I created to make a list of doctors that don't pay their bills. I love it. Then I woke up politically correct one day and changed that to coddentist.com. Oh. And uh, we don't operate anymore, but there's a long period of time I was encouraging labs. Man, just, just list your doctors that don't pay their bills and we'll kind of let the rest of the lab industry know who's not paying their bills out there. Oh, that's hilarious. You need to bring that one back. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to. I'd like to. Awesome. Kate. All right, Mr. Elvis. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you very much, sir. God bless. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Whitmix, known today for its digital equipment and materials, has always been known for decades as the leader in occlusion products with its Whitmix, Hanau, and Dinar articulators and face bows. The most popular of these is the Dinar Mark 300 series articulator. These popular semi-adjustable instruments are engineered for superior performance and tested thoroughly based on proven methodology. They bring a new standard of interchangeability with factory set accuracy within 20 microns. With their sleek ergonomic design and powdered coated finish, these articulators have a contemporary look that is as durable as it is aesthetically pleasing. The Dinar Mark 320 articulator features adjustable condyle inclination with 0 to 60 degrees and progressive side shift fixed at 15 degrees. The Denmark Mark 300 comes complete with dust cover, 10 magnetic mounting plates, instructions, and standard black carrying case. Head over to Whitmix.com to order one today. And as always, we appreciate your support of the podcast, Whitmix. A huge thanks for Keith for coming on our podcast. And I really hope Elvis pronounced your last name correctly. I'm definitely sorry that I missed the conversation. Sounds like with just a little cost per month, though, a smaller to medium lab can take advantages of what is usually only available to large labs with bigger budgets. So check it out. Head over to americasmiles.net to check out some of these amazing opportunities that Keith talked about. And hey, possibly go for it and sign up. Thanks, Keith, for giving everyone in our industry a chance to compete.
All right. Don't forget, there is still time to get your Race for the Future Triathlon Voices from the Bench shirt. And they are limited, so you better hurry up because Elvis says that sometimes after he closes it out, he gets people hitting him up for more. So these limited edition shirts are only on sale until May 28th, and then they will be gone. And if you don't get one, you will be sad because they're truly awesome. I think I got four already, and I'm going for more. Nice. I know. Head over to this episode's show notes or VoicesFromTheBench.com to order one for everyone in the lab. Because remember, 100% of the profits go towards the Foundation of Dental Laboratory Technology, and I will be racing for Voices from the Bench. So I think it'll be able to support me as well, supporting us, supporting you. Have you started training? Have you got the pool yet? No, I haven't gotten the pool yet, but every time I go for a run, I think, damn, Barb, you need to move it. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The motivation started. (laughs) (laughs) The next step, it's going to be Monday. I'm going to take a picture of the pool and send it to you and Sean Nowak because I hate the pool. (laughs) (laughs) Are you doing the full? Yes. Yeah? You're going all out, huh? Yep, I am. Nice. Thank you. I'll see if I can put a team together. If not, I'll be there cheering you on. I know you will. Team Voices from the Bench. With a shirt. Yep. (laughs) All right, everybody. That's all we got for you. We will talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye. Safe travels, partner.